Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Good day, friends, and welcome to this segment of The Crux of the Matter. I'm Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy. Today I'd like to provide a brief lesson on the proper placement of the tabernacle within the church. While this has been a topic of some confusion over the years, it really shouldn't be, since the church's teaching on the subject is quite clear. All we have to do is look to Pope Benedict XVI's 2007 Apostolic Exhortation, Sacramentum Caritatis, the Sacrament of Charity, specifically number 69. In this document, the Holy Father provides a nice summation of all that the Church has said on this subject since the Second Vatican Council. The Holy Father states that in churches which do not have a Blessed Sacrament Chapel and where the high altar with its tabernacle is still in place, it is appropriate to continue to use this structure for the reservation and adoration of the Eucharist, taking care not to place the celebrant's chair in front of it. In new churches, it is good to position the Blessed Sacrament Chapel close to the sanctuary, and where this is not possible, it is preferable to locate the tabernacle in the sanctuary in a sufficiently elevated place at the center of the apse area or in another place where it will be equally conspicuous. Attention to these considerations, the Holy Father continues, will lend dignity to the tabernacle which must always be cared for. As faithful Catholics, the main point to remember here is that the correct positioning of the tabernacle contributes to the recognition of Christ's real presence in the Blessed Sacrament, so that the place where the Holy Eucharist is reserved, marked by a sanctuary lamp, should be readily visible to everyone upon entering the church and not in some obscure location. This has been the crux of the matter. I'm Father Wade Menezes. Thanks for joining us. This is Cy Kellett. Join me for Catholic Answers Live. It's two hours dedicated to Catholic apologetics and evangelization. Designed for Catholics and non-Catholics alike, it's your opportunity to hear from and talk with some of the leading apologists and theologians in the church today. You've got questions? We've got Catholic Answers. Catholic Answers Live, weekdays, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Three minutes past the hour, three minutes late. Sorry about that, folks. Technology is great when it works. Had a little bit of a technical difficulty, but we are here. Thank you, Jesus. And it's a great day to be alive. It is September 27, 2023, the Feast of St. Vincent de Paul. And we have a jam-packed show for you this morning. We have Dan Burke, so excited about this book, Finding Peace in the Storm, Reflections on St. Alphonsus Liguori's Uniformity with God's Will. This is a book that is filled with great insight and advice from some of our greatest saints in terms of how do we know that we are 
in God's will and how do we make sure we remain in God's will. So a great book for discernment. And then, of course, it's a Wednesday. Yay, Joni is back with us. Joan Lewis, of course, with a whole bunch of news to discuss. Of course, you have the Synod coming up and we'll have more details specifically on that with Father Mitch Apakwa tomorrow, God willing. And then Joan's also going to take a look at the audience message today. It's a Wednesday, the Pope reflecting on his visit to Marseille last weekend, Marseille last weekend in France. And then, of course, other news, a big prayer event coming up at the Vatican this weekend as well. So that is our program on a Wednesday. Let's take a look at the weather. According to the National Weather Service, we still have a lot of rain across the country this early fall time of year. We have rainy conditions in the northwest, in the Ohio Valley, and in Florida, which is normally considered right the Sunshine State. A series of cold fronts have been moving into the northwest. It will continue to bring below average temperatures and rain to the area. Heavy rain could cause flooding in the Ohio Valley and Florida and thunderstorms reducing a few strong gusts or marginally severe hail will be possible across parts of the Ohio Valley. So that is the weather forecast and that's a rundown as we say in the biz. But since we're already a few minutes late, let's get right into the news and see what's happening. It's a very, very busy news day. Never a dull moment, right, in the world. So let's get started. Big story out of Canada, the House Speaker in Canada resigning after he praised a Ukrainian veteran who actually fought for the Nazis in World War II. This house is above any of us. Therefore, I must step down as your speaker. Anthony Rhoda commending 98-year-old Yaroslav Hunka as a war hero who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russian aggressors then and continues to support the troops today, he said. But human rights and Jewish organizations quickly criticized Rhoda's move, noting that Hunka fought for a Nazi military unit. The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, also calling that situation deeply embarrassing. Meanwhile, Poland is also beginning the process of extraditing the former Ukrainian Nazi veteran who has lived in Canada since the 50s. Poland's embassy in Ottawa confirming the move against a 98-year-old after, as we mentioned earlier, he received a standing ovation and praise in Canada's parliament last week. But again, it did not take long for human rights groups and Jewish organizations to point out that he again actually fought for a Nazi military unit. A Democratic state representative in Michigan, her name is Karen Whitsett, has said she will not support a slate of pro-abortion bills being pushed by the governor and fellow Democrat Gretchen Whitmer, calling or citing her constituents' wishes and her own support for the state's 24-hour abortion waiting period. Now, she spoke with our own Catholic news agency, saying she was a survivor of rape who had an abortion, but she supports the idea of a waiting period for abortions to ensure that women are not being coerced or forced to abort their children. She added, I don't see anything wrong with being asked if you are being coerced into a termination. Since her announcement that she would not support the abortion bills, as Catholic News Agency explains, a coalition of pro-abortion groups launched a major campaign criticizing her. It's a campaign led by Planned Parenthood Advocates of Michigan, a group that characterized her stance as a betrayal. Currently in Michigan, abortion is available up until birth with a waiting period. And in November of last year, Michiganders voted to explicitly make abortion a right in their state constitution. A package of 11 bills collectively dubbed the Reproductive Health Act, House Bills 404959, would put into state law the constitutional language enshrining abortion access and repealing several regulations that lawmakers say are in conflict with that access. Now, among those regulations being repealed is the state's abortion waiting period, as well as a prohibition on partial birth abortions, 
a requirement that women seeking an abortion be screened to determine whether they have been coerced to do so and state requirements to dispose of fetal remains safely and humanely. Another provision, as Catholic News Agency points out, would repeal the state's building code regulations that require clinics providing more than 120 surgical abortions a year to be licensed as freestanding surgical outpatient facilities. In other news this morning, a Virginia man is being charged after he was arrested at a church with a loaded weapon. This was a thwarted, diabolical plot to kill churchgoers in Haymarket, Virginia. That's Fairfax County Police Chief Kevin Davis saying 35-year-old Ru Yang posted threats online according to a tip from a social media user. A statement from the Prince William County Police Department saying he also had an additional magazine and two folding knives on him at Park Valley Church in Haymarket, west of Washington, D.C. Davis says the suspect was stopped before carrying out a mass shooting. The congregation had, was making their way into the church. He was in the vestibule of the church about to enter, so minutes or seconds away. Again, Davis saying that someone saw the threats online and made a call to police. He now faces a felony charge related to the threat to intimidate a population and a misdemeanor charge for carrying a weapon to a place of worship. Mark Mayfield tells us New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez is set to appear in Manhattan court today on federal bribery and corruption charges. He'll be arraigned along with his wife Nadine and three co-defendants. The Democrat was indicted last week after being accused of accepting cash, gold bars and gifts in exchange for using his influence to help businessmen and the government of Egypt. Despite calls from a growing number of Democrats, including fellow New Jersey Senator Cory Booker to step down, Menendez has refused to resign and insists that he's innocent. Authorities in Philadelphia responding last day to widespread reports of looting across their city. We started to get uh, multiple calls of certain businesses uh, starting to uh, essentially have their, uh, their stores broken into or stores ransacked where we had a number of looting incidents occur. There was a large police response in Center City, part of Philadelphia, where the Apple Store, Lululemon, and Foot Locker were reportedly hit. The looting came on the same day a Philadelphia judge dismissed charges against a former police officer in the shooting of Eddie Irizarry. Officers say the incident followed a peaceful protest earlier in the evening. Roughly 15 to 20 arrests were made. And Trey Thomas tells us Target now says it's closing nine stores in major cities, including New York and San Francisco, all due to theft and violence. Target says it's closing nine stores in major cities due to theft and violence. One store in Harlem, along with three in San Francisco, three in Portland, and two in Seattle will close on October 21st. The retailer said theft and organized retail crime are threatening the safety of employees and customers, leaving them unable to operate those locations. Social security payments will continue even if the government shuts down. Many senior citizens have been concerned about losing their monthly payments, payments they depend on for essentials. This comes as Congress works to pass the appropriation bills that fund federal agencies by the time the new fiscal year begins on October 1st. But an economist telling CNN the reason the social security payments can continue is because they're considered mandatory spending and the money comes from a trust fund. Well, Natalie Migliori explains that J.P. Morgan Chase is agreeing now to pay $75 million to settle a lawsuit regarding the late disgraced financier Jeff Jeffrey Epstein. 
The U.S. Virgin Islands alleged the New York-based bank helped Epstein, a longtime customer, sex traffic young women to his private island in the territory and benefited from it. In the settlement, J.P. Morgan did not admit it did anything wrong, but agreed to give $55 million to Virgin Island charities and the territory's anti-trafficking efforts. Another $20 million will be used to pay lawyers' fees as part of litigation in New York federal court. Earlier this summer, J.P. Morgan agreed to settle a separate $290 million lawsuit with Epstein victims. Consumer confidence down for the second straight month. The conference board's consumer confidence index falling five points in September from its upwardly revised August reading. The board's chief economist saying many Americans are worried about rising prices, especially for gas and groceries. The survey also noting a rise in recession fears and fewer consumers planning to buy homes in the next few months. And Amazon is now facing an antitrust lawsuit filed by the FTC in 17 states. That complaint revealed yesterday is accusing the online retailer of abusing its powers to promote its own products over third-party sellers that use Amazon's platform to reach customers. The FTC chair says Amazon is exploiting its monopolies in ways that leave shoppers and sellers paying more for worse services. Amazon responding to that lawsuit by saying it's wrong on the facts and wrong on the law. The FTC has been investigating Amazon for possible antitrust violations since 2019. And finally, in our news segment, at about 13, 14 minutes past the hour, while millennials are so attached to their phones, they have become apparently disasters in the kitchen, as Bree Tennis tells us. At least that's according to a new study from Home Run In Pizza. That's a frozen pizza company out of Chicago. The study found with phone in hand, 83% of millennials have burned dinner, 62% have put in the wrong ingredients, and 75% have burned themselves in the kitchen, all because they couldn't put down their phones. 81% of millennials say their phone is the best dining companion, and all that makes them the most addicted generation. It is a Wednesday. Thanks for joining us in the middle of the week and every day on EWTN. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio out of Southeastern Michigan and EWTN out of Irondale, Alabama. Check us both out online, AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. Up next, Dan Burke from the Avila Institute. Brand new book from our friends at Sophia, Finding Peace in the Storm, Reflections on St. Alphonsus Liguori's Uniformity with God's Will. It's a great book. We'll tell you all about it up next. Stay tuned. She was a mystic and reformer who died at the age of 33. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Catherine of Siena accomplished something no one thought possible. She convinced Pope Gregory XI to return to Rome after the popes had lived in France for almost the whole of the 14th century. They've been there ever since. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. 
Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. You know how much I love our saints, 10,000-plus wonderful witnesses. Great cloud of witnesses in heaven for us that go before us and intercede. So many wonderful ones, including St. Alphonsus Liguori. Dan Berg knows all about that from the Avila Institute. Brand new book from Sophia, Finding Peace in the Storm, Reflections on St. Alphonse Liguori's Uniformity with God's Will. Dan, good to talk to you again. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's great to hear your voice. Great to be back with you. All right, so what prompted a book about St. Alphonsus Liguori and his understanding of how to be in uniform with the will of God? How did you go about picking this for a topic for a book? Because it's quite lengthy. I think that you would, uh, you could answer this question. I, the, the, the difficulties inside the church and outside the church are really unprecedented in our lifetime. I think we're facing some of the most um, challenging cultural situations we've seen in I think what we're experiencing is far worse than what we experienced in the 60s. And then inside the church, of course, with all of the confusion. So I really felt like it would be powerful to resurrect this ancient wisdom from St. Alphonsus that helps us to understand how do we face the storms in life. And instead of being dashed against the waves of circumstance, that those very storms can lift us to union with God and peace and, and help us to become beacons of light in the midst of the darkness. Mm-hmm. What is it in particular about his writings that apply to what we're experiencing in the storms right now, do you think, Dan? <clears throat> well, he asserts uh, properly, I mean, he was, a, he was a theologian, a great theologian, not, and I think up on the same page as Aquinas and others, and Augustine, but he, um, he teaches that he, all that happens in our lives, um, in and around us, is either permitted by God or caused by God. And that the secret, if you will, to coming to know union with him, this is what a saint is, is someone who's in union with all that God desires, the secret to coming to peace, a constant presence of God, a constant ability to pray and to be holy in the midst of the storm is when we embrace His will. So whatever that comes down to us, uh, whatever is allowed or caused, we look at as necessary for our salvation, as necessary for the plan of God to work out in our life and in the world around us. And we say yes to God in the midst of that, and then ask, what do I do to participate in what you're trying to achieve in the world and in my soul. 
Mm. For those who are not familiar with St. Alfonso Liguori, tell us about him. You mentioned him, him being a, a theologian and a great teacher, but what, what else do we need to know about him in terms of when we pick up this book? Well, he was incredibly uh, holy. I mean, he was a, he was an, a, a lawyer uh, as a young man. I, I think he may have um, become an attorney at, in his in his 20s. And um, brilliant, brilliant theologian, and relied upon much more before the council, though he's, he's being resurrected now through many avenues. His writings are being rediscovered. He's a founder of uh, multiple religious communities, and really, as a young man, he came to despair of the futility of the, the profession of, of law and of worldly pursuits, and then dedicated the remainder of his life to working to help uh, the people of God become, become saints. So he's, his writings are, are, are quite extensive and not even all available even now in English. But this book, Finding Peace in the Storm, is a is takes his book, Uniformity with God's Will, which was actually a shorter treatise. And what I've done is, is try to provide context and examples, because he's very hard-hitting. Uh, and mm-hmm. some of the language he uses is archaic. And so what I've done is provide reflections and insights into what he's, what he's saying, to how we can apply the wisdom that he, ha- that he brings to bear so that we can find that peace. You know, I was just mentioning yesterday, and by the way, if you're just joining us on Catholic Connection on a Wednesday morning, chanting with Dan Burke, his latest book, Finding Peace in the Storm, Reflections on St. Alfonso Sigori's Uniformity with God's Will, published by our friends at Sophia Press. I was just mentioning in the first hour of my program yesterday that my listeners how important the saints are because if we look at all the problems in the church, all the confusion, as you mentioned, a lot of the confusion over what's coming up the next couple of weeks with the Synod and what's happening and, and all of that, all these crazy things in the world. We've never seen anything like this before. I, I mean, many horrible things went on in the time of the great saints, but in terms of what's happening with the human being, made in the image of likeness of God, male and female. We never saw that before, uh, of course, so, so things are a lot worse in that way. But God always gave us these saints, Dan, and you know this, at these times who really followed God's will, and that's what made the difference in those difficult times, not just for themselves, but for other people. Yeah, exactly. That's why I wanted to bring this forward to say, you know, it, in term, you're exactly right that in terms of the human person, we haven't seen this kind of a battle, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I can't recall a time in the Church. We have seen worse theological difficulties um, in the Church than we have now, at least as it stands in the Aryan crisis, right? But as you say, in every stage of the Church's life, the Lord raise, will raise up saints in those periods, and often the saints of the present look to the saints of the past, right? And so we all want to mm-hmm. be saints. And so the question is, how did Liguri, how did you know um, the great saints fight the Arian controversy? How did they see all of this, and then how did they respond? And I think the key is that when we become... It, I, one of the great uh, mistakes, I should say, in this time is we become angry, we become frustrated, we look at it as if it's all politics, it's just the bad people in the Church, and we miss that God is doing something in all of this. We don't understand always what it is, but if we're not listening and attentive to His work in the midst of it, that's when we get drugged down a hole. And the saints, 
the great saints didn't do that. And in fact, they were able to rise above the fray, above the insanity, and speak with clarity and live in holiness in such a way that said to everyone around them, hey, we're going to be fine. This is where Jesus is. Let's follow Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's so true in every era. I mean, you look back in history and you see all these great saints of the past, and even recently, for example, with <coughs> saints such as, you know, Padre Pio, pray, hope, don't worry, and everything that he went through. And you talk about someone who was persecuted within the church. You're talking with Dan Burke. We're going up against a break, so I just want to give you a little bit more background on the book and where you can find it. We'll have a link to it at the Ave Maria Radio.net archives for Catholic Connection. You can always get it, of course, at the EWTM Religious Catalog, and, of course, online at Sophia's website as well. The book is Finding Peace in the Storm, Reflections on St. Alphonsus Liguori's Uniformity with God's Will. This is such an important topic in terms of understanding what it means to be in God's will. You know, my mother used to always say, you know, God willing, God willing, God willing. And I understand that, or God spares, God spare us. I understand that so much more now in my 60s than I did when I was growing up. I would just roll my eyes at my mother. It's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, Everything's Coming Up Rosy. But some of the points that we're going to talk about when we come back, the paralyzing cocktail we drink when we reject God's will. Oh boy, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Prayers that will assist you in directing all things to God's will. Two ways we can know God's love and hear his voice. And two life-altering spiritual disciplines according to my gal, St. Teresa of Avila, who's also covered in this book. The great doctor of the church, first female doctor of the church, Dan Burke. His book is Finding Peace in the Storm, and we'll be right back. Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church, we speak of seven gifts wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. What are we expressing when we use the word our in relation to God? The Catholic Catechism tells us the adjective our does not mean possession, but an entirely new relationship with God. It means that we recognize that all God's promises of love coming through the prophets are fulfilled in the new and eternal covenant in his Christ. We have become his people and he is our God. We are to respond to this gift in Jesus Christ with love and faithfulness. 
The church is this new communion of God and man. In praying our Father, each of the baptized is praying in this communion as written in the Acts of the Apostles. The company of those who believed were of one mind and one heart. But the hour and the Our Father, if prayed sincerely, also includes all for whom God gave his beloved Son, revealing the dimensions of God's love for all, even those who do not yet know him. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Hope you're having a beautiful Wednesday, September 27, 2023, on EWTN. Beautiful new book by our friend Dan Burke. It's published by Sophia. Finding Peace in the Storm, Reflections on St. Alphonsus Segori's Uniformity with God's Will. So, Dan, you talk about, in the book, the paralyzing cocktail we drink when we reject God's will. Do tell. What do you mean by that? Well, what that means is when we have circumstances that occur in our lives that we don't like, when we then reject and, and kind of rail against and we became angry, we become frustrated or, or move into doubt, despair, and narcissism, however we respond that's negative, what we don't often understand is we're actually resisting God and we're resisting what he's doing. And so it, it when you understand this, it kind of puts an, uh, a much higher standard on how we walk through life. But the rejection of God's will, of course, is a sin, and that sin causes us even more despair. So that cocktail of difficult circumstance, I don't like it, I'm against it, I'm angry, um, that sin, and then just draws us into darkness and we exit out of his presence because every time we leave the realm of peace, which is the only place where we can find him, hear his voice, and follow him, we exit out of that realm of peace and we enter into this realm of darkness that uh, brings us down. And so a big part of overcoming and dealing with all the junk we're facing right now is asking, Lord, what are you doing? Forgive me for rejecting your will. Forgive me for being um, angry and upset. Help me to, what can I do? What have you given, what have you placed within my power to do to help the church, to help the world, to help the people around me? And now then you enter back into that realm of peace and cooperation and uniformity with his will. And you become an instrument of his. And that reverses that whole cocktail that we tend to drink so, so easily. So the paralyzing cocktail is getting stuck in that in that anger and you know banging your head against a brick wall and saying no I'm not going to follow your will because you you, you have to be wrong because I have a better plan. Yeah, I mean it, that's that's really it, and, and it's it's I think more uh, problematic among those who are Orthodox, you know, people who per- like EWTN or your show, those who tend to be active in their faith, and we can look out and get upset and hear all the news and and go dark and not realize God is present. He's not napping. He hasn't taken a vacation. He's still on the throne. So what is he doing? What is he revealing? And oftentimes in these darkest times, and to go back to the Arian, Arian heresy, what happened as a result of the Arian heresy? We came to greater clarity about the incarnation of Jesus, one of the most important doctrines of our faith that he's fully God and fully man. So these dark trying times 
often provide the, the context within which the truth is more fully revealed. It's just hard in the middle of the storm to see sometimes how God is working. But when we make a decision to not resist his will, that's the first step to becoming a part of the solution. Yeah. So my favorite saint, the saint who, after whom I was named, and, and you know love her well because you have the Institute dedicated to her spirituality, the Avila Institute, St. Teresa of Avila, you have in the book two life-altering spiritual disciplines according to this great doctor of the church. Can you give us a little sneak preview? Yeah, so St. Alphonsus was very dedicated to St. Teresa of Avila. He, she influenced him greatly. And he is one of the greatest advocates for mental prayer which, of course, she taught and is considered the doctor of prayer. And the the two disciplines that Teresa commends us to to help keep our hearts on true north and to keep us in peace is spending time every day in mental prayer, spending time with Jesus, like Mary did when he visited uh, Martha and Mary and Bethany, and she sat at his feet. And then the second thing is the daily examination Mm. where we're asking ourselves, am I on track with God or am I off track, which helps us to become more awake to the junk in our hearts that we need to repent of or the good that we need to praise Him for. So those are the two the two disciplines that, that Alphonsus recommends that, of course, stem from Teresa that will help us get through the storm and help us conform ourselves more fully to God's will. Okay, so I'm writing this down. I mean, I'm, I know them because I'm familiar with Teresa of Avila, but again, to remind our listeners and to remind myself again, spend time in prayer, spend time with Jesus. Daily and mental two, prayer. Daily mental, a in, daily mental prayer and examination of conscience, right? Exactly. That's what she yeah. said, if you remember. How do you enter into the interior castle? Mm-hmm. She said these two ways. Daily, she, I, she didn't say it exactly this way, but pr- regular prayer with the Lord and then regular lifting up heart and mind to say, where is God and where am I? And how do I orient myself myself more fully to him in this moment? And a big point of the book, too, which I think is huge, so important for all of us, is, and you mentioned this, and how adversity and trials bring freedom and healing and salvation. If you look back in your life, I mean, anybody can say this, how do we grow? We don't grow when it's all sunshine. I had a Bible study teacher saying once, all sunshine makes a desert. In other words... If we never go through a trial, if we never have a difficult period, not that we want the suffering, and we're not like the great saints, at least, (laughs) not too many of us. I know I'm not. We're asking for suffering. But when we go through it, there's a lesson there. And and Doug Keck always says, you know, don't ask, you know, why, ask what. In other words, what do you want to learn from this situation? And I ask that question as well. Because it's through that adversity that, that you should be able to at least grow in that and learn from it because that's how you you can stretch yourself and and see okay am i really committed here or am i only going to be with god during the good times the context of all the struggles of our time Mm -hmm. we have the macro we have the macro issues that are too big for us but how they affect our hearts and our emotions tell us where we are with god and how mature we are spiritually and when we find ourselves in distress, that's a gift. So the, the trial reveals in us what needs to be purified, and then that allows us, I mean, it takes us to a really critical decision point. Am I going to repent of this and ask for his strength and wisdom and find healing, or am I going to stay angry, or am I, I going to stay focused on the externals 
instead of what he's doing. So, yeah, the trials are always a great gift to reveal where we really are and what God, what we need, how do we need to be healed to move forward. And I reminds us that what God gives us and what he promises us is true. I mean, what he says about the church in Matthew 16, you know, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are Peter and on this rock I shall build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, uh, gates of hell shall not prevail against her. If we have to believe that, because God doesn't, God doesn't go back on his word. And again, he gives us the Alfonso Ligoris and the Teresa of Avila's and the, you know, so many other thousands of saints that have come along side of us during good times and bad to show us how to be in God's will and make a difference. Dan, congrats on this book, and I hope it sells really well. It's a new book by Dan Burke, of course, from the Avila Institute, Finding Peace in the Storm, Reflections on St. Alfonso Segori's Uniformity with God's Will. Dan, what's the website for the Avila Institute? Uh, just avila-institute.com. All right. Well, great to speak with you. Always appreciate your great work. Again, the book is Finding Peace in the Storm by our friend Dan Burke, B-U-R-K-E, published by Sophia Press. We'll be right back. Joe Lewis, we go to Rome. Stay tuned. The best way for the church to respond to this new woke religion is to actually begin to see it as religious. What they're offering is a new sense of believing, a new sense of belonging, and a new sense of behaving. They have new commandments uh, regarding tolerance and inclusivism and multiculturalism and egalitarianism. And what's remarkable about this is that the woke people seem to think that the Christian faith is a barrier. Look, Christianity has always taught that the gospel was a universal message. Christ died for all. All human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And we all have solidarity in the fact that we sin. And yet the church gets no credit for its great cultural achievements. Look, the church has already welcomed every nation, family, and tribe. We are the first universal people. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for those who have diabetes. Almighty God, we worship you, our Father. And we pray this day for those who suffer with diabetes. Look upon your children with this illness and grant them relief. Give them patience and the grace of perseverance in taking care of their health. Show them the way to physical and spiritual well-being. Let their cry come to your ears and bring them healing in mind and body and soul. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Great way to wrap up a Wednesday, as always, with Joan Lewis of Jones Rome. And Joni, my goodness, a full plate, all kinds of things to discuss. What shall we start with? How about the, uh, maybe the audience today? Oh, sure. 
Well, there was a, a lovely audience and uh, a beautiful sun splash St. Peter's Square just filled with people who, uh, you know, it, we haven't had a stop to, I don't remember the last time you were in Rome, but we have not had a stop to, to visitors, to pilgrims, to tourists. It's just been uh, an, an awesome period. But there's people who, you know, finally they feel good about travel, and they are traveling. And mm-hmm. we see the papal audiences filled. We see the, um, you know, Sunday Angelus. I think it was 20,000 or something in the square on Sunday. But... Um, this week's audience was dedicated, as it always is, after a papal trip, to Francis's, Pope Francis's trip to France. Well, not to France, but to Marseille in France. It was not a visit to that nation, but to that city, because of a, a Mediterranean meeting that had been going on, and, and he was there for the two-day conclusion. So it was about a 28-hour visit arriving um, Friday and then leaving on Saturday about 8 o'clock at night after Mass. But he had wonderful positive words about the visit, about the priest and consecrated people he met, the laity, especially those who work in education and charity. And and then, of course, he met um, on Saturday, he met the pre- President Macron of France, whom he didn't meet earlier because the president of France was very busy entertaining King Charles. So uh, talk about two men who have uh, lives filled with events and, and very big calendars. But the Pope, I loved his words on the Mediterranean because the object of this meeting about the Mediterranean, all the cultures that surround it from the Middle East to European to Northern mm-hmm. Africa and all the different nations, um, and there have been meetings before on how these people can, how people can come together instead of tear each other apart, and that's partly what he talked about. But he said the Mediterranean itself is the cradle of civilization, the cradle for life. It's not tolerable it should become a tomb, nor should it be a place of conflict. And, of course, when he talks about it being a tomb, uh, you know, I don't know how much attention our, our listeners pay to some of the news of the migrants coming to Europe from especially Africa. They mm-hmm. come on ships, overcrowded ships sometimes that overturn, and you, you read of 50 deaths of 100 or 150 deaths, people just drowning in the middle of the uh, of the Mediterranean. So that's what he was talking to. And he said um, it should be, as it was the Mediterranean for many years, a means of communication between Asia, Europe, and Africa, between the north, the south, the east, the west, all those peoples and cultures. And um, he had very strong words to say, and certainly to the uh, president of France, about welcoming migrants and not welcoming them as being inhumane towards these people who come from another country where very often there's war, there's conflict, there's extreme poverty. And and he, he said, you know, migrants should always have the choice, and I'm sure this you know, pertains to our border as well. Migrants should always have the choice to migrate or not migrate. That should Mm -hmm. absolutely be a choice, not be forced out of your native country because of conflict or because of poverty. So um, it was uh, indeed a very interesting visit. And, you know, a lot of us uh, here sometimes when we here, H-E-R-E, here in Rome, we read about the Pope's comments on migrants, and they're totally understandable words about treating people with the, uh, with, uh, as totally human 
people filled with human dignity. Um, but I, I often wonder, many of us wonder, if people have ever told the Holy Father about the difficulties of receiving people. And all we have to do, I, about 20 minutes ago, 40 minutes ago, I, I saw some TV images of our southern border in America. Right. You know, people swimming mm-hmm. across and people drowning and people bringing children. They don't speak a language. They don't, they don't have a home. They don't have any money. And they just assume, because I guess that's what was promised, that that's what they're going to have when they get to the other side of the body of water they are, they're crossing. But it is a, a huge burden on the countries that, that receive these people on the border that they've just crossed. And I look at Lampedusa here in Italy, where right. uh, yes. usually mm-hmm. the first stop for migrants, and you know this, um, people have to be fed, they have to be clothed, they don't come with luggage filled with, you know, change of clothes for every day of the week. So they're, mm-hmm. they're, And there's sanitary needs, there's, uh, there's the absolute, all the basics of life. So, um, and, and Italy has just out, outdone itself, but you reach, to a, you reach a point where you even run out of volunteers. You know, to, right. to help all of these people, and and uh, you you might be running out of people donating clothes, etc. So the question of migrants indeed should be, you know, on the front of a lot of agendas on page one. But the problem is, you know, uh, literally, how do you work with with the statistics and and still remain humane? to all of these people. Right. Who, it's, who a, it's a huge challenge. I mean, there's so much going on in the United you know. States on, on that right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's really and, and, and on the southern want. border. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, the images today, they're coming across several thousand a day now. And I, I think the thing that the Pope, when he stresses migration, whether or not he always uses the word, um, I, I think it's very important to use the word legal. To, to legally come into a country, and um, mm-hmm. maybe you can't afford airfare from Libya into Rome or something, but in most cases, uh, we know down at the border, people pay cartels to, um, you know, to come across the border. The cartels promise people that they will be brought safely to the United States, and and all you can do when you when you are almost blind and deaf because of hope. Um, I think it's like a person with an absolute terrible illness. You know, they're told there's nothing. You're told nothing more can be done. But hope is the last to die. And, and you just don't hear things like they, you know, for their true meaning when you are with, uh, with negative feelings and trying to block out that hope. So it's, it's a situation we're all watching in Europe, those who try to go beyond Italy to Many other countries have the, you know, the, the problems, and that was the gist of the, of so many of the Pope's remarks on, on, um, uh, on migration. And he just called on the peoples living in on the Mediterranean to return it to what it be, uh, what it always has been—a mosaic of civilization and hope. So, um, but he sounded very enthusiastic about his trip, obviously. Mm-hmm. Now we have the uh, North American College is ordaining, uh, as you mentioned in your email, this is, this is very exciting, 19 new deacons, 21 men are created cardinals, and you have an ecumenical prayer vigil 
also we have the Cardinals being uh, created, and you have the prayer vigil coming up this weekend. I mean, there's nonstop news, and then you have the Synod. So I don't know, we, I don't know how we're going to get through all this, but yeah. let's start yeah, no, with the well, NAC, the synod, North American College. The Synod right yeah. now can be just a parenthesis because it, it starts Wednesday. But, I mean, no, right. the next 72 hours are going to be phenomenal. The ordination takes place uh, tomorrow morning in um, in St. Peter's Basilica, as it as it always does, and then there's a reception afterwards at the North American College, which is a fun way of meeting the uh, parents of these families and everything else. And um, it's going to be Archbishop um, Coakley uh, to celebrate. He's from uh, Oklahoma City, of course. So he will ordain these young men. And that's always a big event. They are beginning their fourth year of seminary studies at the North American College. And then at the end of the year, they will go back to their home dioceses to be uh, ordained sometime in the summer to be ordained priests. So uh, very momentous occasions for these these young men. And so that's Thursday. And then um, Friday and then over the weekend, Saturday, are the 31, excuse me, 21 new cardinals, 18 under the age of 80, so they will be electors in a conclave. And this, by the way, Teresa, is Pope Francis's ninth consistory of his papacy. All of his predecessors had um, consistories for new cardinals usually every couple of years, but he's had them pretty much every year. I think COVID was the only <laughs> year to stop things. But um, so, but over the years, the cardinals he's named represent 67 countries, interestingly enough. And I think... Um, Anybody looking at the bigger picture can see the Pope really, uh, his choices for cardinals reflect a shift away from the European-centric membership in the cardinals. And um, now at least half of the ones he's named, 131 cardinals, are from Asia, Africa, and South America. And then the only North American is a Midwesterner, that's this year, Chicago-born Cardinal designate Robert Prevost, prefect of the dicastery for bishops. So, interestingly enough, I was doing some research for for a show for Jim and Joy, mm-hmm. and um, so by uh, the, on September 30th, there will be 242 members of the college, 135 cardinal electors. Then a day later, one cardinal becomes 80, so that becomes 34. By the end of the year, four cardinals turned turn 80, and so by December 31st, we'll have 130 electors. So here's a bit of trivia. <laughs> the Santa Marta residence, where, of course, the cardinal electors reside right. during a conclave, it only has 131 rooms. <laughs> so I know. 105 are two-room suites, and 26 are one-room accommodations. So in the 2005 and 2013 conclaves, the Cardinals had to draw lots for the rooms. <laughs> so, so where would the other ones you know, go if they don't have enough room for them? Would they, would they be bunking together as roomies, or they have to go maybe uh, to nearby Michelangelo, found, or where would they go? Well, well, they could stay at my place. I'm right across from the Vatican. <laughs> but of course, but then I'd have to. But naturally, I'd have to vacate the apartment, and, sure. and they'd have to, you know, soundproof it and proof it against any kind of uh, technical you know, invasion, et cetera. But in any event, that's an excellent question. And when I found this little piece of trivia, that was my first question. So let's say there are, you know, 130 
one. Oh, well, 132 electors. Where does that person go? Um, maybe there's some kind of spare room someplace. I have no idea how that mm. would work out. Or could they literally turn, there's a number of parlors and small rooms where, you know, people, where the Pope even meets people. Could they turn one of those, you know, put a bed in it and a closet and, I mean, you know, a place to hang up clothes and stuff. Could they turn one of those into a room? Of course, it wouldn't have its own bathroom. But anyway, who knows? Good question, and I have to research the answer to that. That is interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, in terms because I've, I've stayed at yeah. the Santa Mata, as you, as you know, and uh, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and the rooms are the rooms are nice. I mean, it's not exactly the Taj Mahal; they're nice, but but they can no, be a little bit no, small five too. Stars you know, is not, the, not the word <laughs> we apply, but but uh, then uh, so then an hour after the new cardinals are made on. Saturday morning from 11:30 to 1:30 are the uh, and this is much earlier than usual. The, their uh, courtesy visits, so the public, all of us, can go in and and greet the new cardinals in the Paul the Six Hall, and and um, yeah, that's no special invitation or anything like that. But it's a good way to to meet the new people and and greet them and say you're praying for them and everything. So um, I'll have my list in hand and and see who I can meet, certainly the Chicago, since I'm from the area, certainly mm-hmm. uh, Cardinal Prevost. But then um, you're right, and you also mentioned a um, the ecumenical vigil for the Synod. The ecumenical vigil is Saturday, even though the Synod doesn't begin until Wednesday. So right. um, all kinds of people are invited to that prayer service in, uh, in St. Peter's Square. It, it actually... It begins early in the afternoon. There's all kinds of different parts to this, and then the ecumenical prayer part uh, begins at 6 o'clock. There'll be the Pope. There'll be Bartholomew, Patriarch Bartholomew, the Orthodox Patriarch of Constantinople, and um, and heaven only heaven only knows who, who else. But you know, getting us all prepared for the Synod, which then is from... 25 days, starting wow. on the 4th of October. Yeah. I know. A lot of news. So. Yeah, a lot of news to discuss. Oh. Joni, we're out of time. Great job covering just about everything. We only missed one item, and that was the apostolic exhortation. We'll talk about that next week as it's getting close to being released on the Feast of St. Francis sure. of Assisi. Jones, Rome, as always, at WordPress.com. We'll be right back to let you know what's coming up on a Thursday morning. Stay tuned. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Do you or your spouse snore but won't get help? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Many of us go to bed and can't get a good night's sleep because we have sleep apnea. Then we get excessive daytime sleepiness, fatigue, or concentration issues. Untreated, this can lead to heart failure, hypertension, and even diabetes. The first thing to do is go to a sleep doctor. The ultimate solution may be a CPAP machine. This machine provides positive pressure in our airways and alleviates the obstructive breathing issues associated with apnea. So many of us know this, but we still won't get the help we need. Here's one more reason to get your breathing fixed. A recent study indicates that the effects of sleep apnea 
may cause us to age the equivalent of 10 more years. Now make that appointment with a sleep doctor. For more, look for our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. This Ave Maria radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only, Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at FathomEvents.com. That's FathomEvents.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Don't forget, check out everything online, EWTN.com, and our archives can be found at AveMariaRadio.net if you'd like to go back and re-listen to one of our interviews. Coming up tomorrow, as Joan mentioned, we have the Synod that's starting next week. So we are going to get the lowdown. What is a Synod? What does it mean? What can we learn from it? What do we know about these types of meetings? Father Mitch Pacwa is going to fill us in on all of that and more. Have a great Wednesday. Adomani. See you tomorrow. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.